Welcome to the Strong John Fitness Podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you achieve your best body without the BS. We'll cover training, nutrition, basically everything you need for a successful fitness journey, and we'll have some fun along the way. I'm your host, John Vlahoinakos. Let's get into it. To the podcast today, I have another amazing guest. Now, I, I, I like to intro all my guests, but at the same time, like obviously, I want Stephen. I want you to take your time. But um, before we dig in, first, I want to thank you for coming on, taking the time. Um, you and I have, have known known each other for two years or so, give or take. Internet acquaintances finally got to see each other in person last year, which is it's always nice to see an internet friend in real life, and it's just it's not weird. It's not awkward. It's like, cool. Like I kind of know this person, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, um, I mean, it depends on the person. Some people make it weird. I tried, but <laughs> I can be very socially awkward. Yeah. Sometimes it'll be like, I, I ramble if you can already tell. So if like, I just shut up, normally the introduction goes pretty well, but um, yeah. And so for, for those that don't know, this is uh Steven Hicks. He is the owner of health rebels. Um, he's an online holistic health coach who's been in the industry for, about 13 years. So um, definitely vetted, definitely been here for a while, uh, almost twice as long as I've been here, which is, which is awesome. But Stephen, man, I, w- I want to know more about you. Like you can take the intro and like what, what kind of brought you to the, to the fitness industry and maybe the online world and kind of, you can take it from here. And I'd love to know more of your story. Yeah, I think so. The, the one thing that kind of separates me from other fitness professionals is originally when I went to school, I went to get a history and social studies double major. And some things occurred during college that made me shift into the exercise sciences. But I never really lost that interest in the social lens, in the history lens. And I think as we talk today with the topic, that'll kind of show itself as well. But other than that, I think the majority of my origin story is the same as like 80% of the industry. And I know you've heard a lot of origin stories on this podcast, but you know, like a lot of people, I grew up, did some sports, right? Like if I remember right, John, you grew up playing hockey, right? That's me. Yep. Yeah. A lot of trainers. I know I listened to the episode with Connor O'Shea. Um, can't remember what sport he played because it was like an Irish specialty that I've never heard of. Oh yeah. Forget that yeah. podcast episode. Um, but a lot of trainers have that origin where they, grow up as an athlete and then either they don't make it to the next level or some injury derails them. Um, I had the injury route, but then we just, it's hard to let it go. Right. So we gravitate towards fitness and athletics as a career path. And I think, I think that's, that's the common story for most people um, in this industry. And I think that's also reveals some of the, some of the challenges in the fitness industry and why people have troubles having long-term success and hopefully we can unpack that a little bit more today. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Yeah. I would definitely love to, uh, to unpack that. What, what was your sport choice? Um, I did cross country and track and field, obviously like when I was younger, I did all of them, but that's kind of where I specialized in high school and, and university. Cool. That is like the antithesis of my athlete output. I'm very much, well, let's say in my prime, very much 45 to 60 seconds of high intensity output. And then I need rest. Now let's say as my (laughs) secondary chapter in hockey, it's like 
two minute shifts and then I'll rest for, for two minutes and stuff like that. But, um, anyone who's ever done long, long distance, all the power to you. I think it takes a different type of individual, like mentally to really just get in that zone. Um, do you still, do you still dabble? So there's, I don't, I can't, um, so there's been a couple shifts in my life and my career that have gotten me further and further away from that athletic lens. Uh, one of them was in 2019. I had an accident in Vegas. Um, so I'm now actually the proud owner of a steel rod, three pins and five screws in my left knee. I'm kind of missing a, a whole meniscus and three quarters of my cartilage is chewed up. So I, I can't really go out and pound the pavement anymore. Man, sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I actually, it's, it's got a great silver lining. Um, cause it's, it's changed a lot. It, and we can actually, yeah, let's, let's go into this. Cause yeah. there's, that's part of the reason why I went online. Um, cause if you're in bed rest for four months, you can't really work as a personal trainer. Okay. Um, but it had some big shifts. I remember crutching into my brother's house one day and my nephew, he was five at the time. Connor comes screaming down the hallway. And just as an aside, I'm the world's best uncle. Uncle, I take pride in that. And Connor was so excited. He's come screaming down and my brother had to catch him and grab him and, and look at him and be like, you can't play with uncle right now. He's hurt. And I remember Connor looked at me and just like the pain and the devastation in his eyes. Like I realized with this injury that I was, I was really losing a big part of my identity. Um, I love being active. I love being able to wrestle with my nephews. Um, my nephew, my brother has a big pool in his backyard and I love to just sling him, just see how far we can throw him in that pool. Right. It's a lot of fun. And I was losing that. I was the world's best uncle and I couldn't play with my nephews. I couldn't play with my nieces. And it, like I said, a lot of times personal trainers get into this field because it's just a continuation of athletics. But it was at that point where I had to really decide what is the meaning of fitness for me? I wasn't going to be able to go back and challenge myself with heavy squats I wasn't going to try to, I wasn't going to be able to validate myself with some type of performance, but being free to do what I wanted with, with who I wanted to, to be able to be active and playful with my nephews and to take my dog on hikes over mountains and stuff like that was an important part of my identity and who I wanted to be. And a lot of my shifts since then have been redefining fitness away from the athletics and the performance into making it more of a gateway, right? When we're, when we're physically active, when we're healthy, when we're fit, and when we have energy, we're capable of giving to others more. We're capable of being who we want to be. I really love that, man. Yeah. I mean, as, as athletes, I think some of the biggest struggles and hurdles that they face is, you know, what do I do when it's done? Because your identity is, you know, I, um, I was a hockey player for so long and, I brought it up a few times on the podcast. Like my wife and I will joke around about like, you know how we started getting together and she liked hockey players and I was a hockey player and I'd be like, I'll, I'll look at her once in a while just to bug him. Like, so, you know, what do you, what do you like me for? Like, I'm not a hockey player anymore. Like, what do you mean? She's like, no, you are. And I'm just like, your identity changes. And that's the thing, right? When you go from your life, sometimes being the athletics or the sport to all of a sudden, and in your case, man, it was like, pulled out from under you and you're like, shit, what do I do? And I think 
it's a testament to you as an individual and as a coach that you really are here to help. That's, I think, another big differentiator for, for people in the industry is like, are people here to help? And I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with making money, but it's like, are you here just to make money and not care about the other side? Or are you here to help people? And I think for you, man, it's very clear that you, you want to make sure people have the best for themselves in life. Well, I think we have a great industry. I think there's a lot of people that are really, truly passionate about helping people. Um, I mean, one of the early moments in my career was I was doing the athletic training again, fresh off that injury. I couldn't really let go of the athletics. Um, so I was working as an assistant strength coach at Washington State University. And I was doing personal training on the side just to get a couple more, uh, a couple more bucks in the pocket. And the transformations I saw on the personal training side were incredible. Like in athletics, you might be able to help someone take a 10th off their second or like a 10th of a second off their 40 time. And that's cool. But what I was seeing in the general population wasn't just the physical transformations, the weight loss and the, the, the muscle toning and all that, that we always celebrate, but it was, it was like their personality shifted too. They had more energy They They beamed, they glowed, they had more confidence. I, I remember there was a, I did some group training with some, a group of friends and one guy, Danny, <laughs> Danny was just kind of the awkward guy in the group. Like people would make fun of him, tease him. And he just kind of never could give it back. Right. Um, and he was really awkward with movements when we first started, but as he got more comfortable, as he got more fit, as he got more, more comfortable and more, more able, like I just started, like Danny was a brand new person after that. Like he was starting to rib people. He was willing to put himself out in awkward situations more. And there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. And so I made the choice to be a personal trainer instead of a strength coach. Cause it was, you, you can have a big impact in people's lives. And I think a lot of trainers believe that as well, but the way we're taught to go about fitness, I don't think it's, I don't think it's overly productive when we look at the, the long-term effects. I love it. This is the perfect segue. And I'm sure you definitely planned this into the topic for today. Cause you are a pro. So I, I love it when you, when you approach me at the book about the podcast, what you wanted to talk about, I'm mm -hmm. all on board. Um, why fitness fails and it's, and I love it. And it's, it's very eye catching. Um, and basically you're going to cover a, a brief history of fitness standards. That's what we're looking at. So, I mean, the floor is yours, man. I'm all ears. I, I want to learn your perspective. I want to hear what you have to say because it's a very interesting topic. And I think you have a lot of merit into where you're about to tap into. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, I think just to get like a quick spark notes of it, the biggest reason why fitness fails is because we're, we're competing objectives, right? Again, like I said, a lot of times personal trainers are coming into this because personally they are going for performance. They're got that athletics background. There's something with that, with that outcome that we're looking for. And all of our advice is kind of optimized towards that sports performance. But in my experience with the people that I work with over 90% of them, have no interest in sports, right? If they were interested in sports, they'd be doing that. Um, but they're looking for a different outcome. They're looking for more energy. They're looking for more, more confidence. They're, they just want to be able to go through day-to-day -day activities with, with make them effortless, right? They don't want to be winded after bringing in the groceries or they don't want to, 
struggle to get up a few flights of stairs. They just want to make be be more capable and have more options. But the way we deliver fitness isn't designed for that outcome. Um, and looking, at, there's a there's a very good reason. If we look at like the a brief history of fitness during the 20th century, we can see why the standards of the 21st just don't match up. Initially, John, do you are you familiar with like the physical culturalists? Obviously, this is my history background. I love history, so I, I can go way too in depth on this. But like, have you seen those articles about the old physical culturalists, like the 1910s and stuff? Like the ads to try to get people into fitness? No, like like the old people, like the George Hackenschmitz, the Arthur Saxons, the Eugene Sandows. No, all right. So you're this gonna, is my history me with a little brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. There, there was this movement called physical culturalists, right? And they were kind of like circus sideshows. They were people like Arthur Saxon and George Hackenschmidt. They were the strongmen. In fact, have you ever seen like in a cartoon, they make that like cartoon strongman representation of like the dude in the black leotard with the handlebar mustache? Yep. Like that is actually Arthur Saxon. That's made after a person. That's a legitimate person from history. And he was super strong. He could put like 300 pounds over his head with one hand. Like it was insane. Um, and we have that. And then obviously Eugene Sando, I know John, you're familiar with like the Mr. Olympia competition, right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, the, the big title, the big championship of bodybuilding, they hand out a trophy called the Eugene Sando trophy, right? The first bodybuilder, he would travel the country, get on stage and, he had, he had a lot of muscles compared to the average person, not much compared to like Hollywood actors these days. <laughs> uh, we've gotten much, we, we know how to train a lot better, but he would get on stage and he would show off his muscles. And that was, he was a sideshow and he began, he really created the birth of bodybuilding. Um, Arthur Saxon, George Hackenschmidt, other guys like that. Physical culture kind of split into powerlifting and bodybuilding. And that's kind of the origins of fitness. In the 20s, they, they kind of got into the Olympic strength sports. Um, bodybuilding started to get good, started to get big. And then around the 70s, there's a gentleman that we're all really familiar with, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? In the 70s, made the movie Pumping Iron, took what was bodybuilding, which was a super fringe, weird like people worked out with weird, dirty weights and dungeons. Like it was a small percent of population and people would look at bodybuilders and be like, dude, what are those freaks? Like what is going on? But Arnold started to make this really popular in pop, pop culture. Right. Uh, in fact, I think John, you've seen pumping iron, right? Dude, I've watched that movie. Like there was a point where I was watching it once a year for a while. That was my thing. I'd love that movie. Just get a little pumped up a little bit of Arnold. Yeah. Right. And when you look at that, when you look at the people that are in the gyms, it is exclusively bodybuilders. It was very niche, right? Gyms were had one purpose. Um, I think there's one person in that movie, like working out in the same tiny little 300 square foot gym as Lou Ferrigno. There's like one normal person in that whole movie. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it was a different culture, right? Gyms were made for this really small niche population called bodybuilders. And then in the 80s, after the popularity of pumping iron came out, a couple athletes started lifting weights. 
and they got bigger and they got dominant. People like Bo Jackson got stronger and you discovered that a stronger, bigger athlete was tough to stop. Mm. So the, so bodybuilders started to coach athletes to be bigger, stronger individuals. Power lifters started to coach athletes. So fitness started to shift and it started to include bodybuilders and athletes and strength athletes, right? Unfortunately, that's what that, that really is the definition of fitness. That's what it was. That's what gyms were made for. Everybody else kind of got their fitness through work, right? If you, if you look at statistics, um, I think, I think in like 1880, like 87% of Americans were involved with agrarian practices, right? Either commercially um, for their livelihood or just to produce food for their own like survival, right? And now in 2020, that population went down to 1.5%. Only 1.5% of people are involved with farming, right? That's a big difference in how sedentary our work is. I mean, even you and I, John, we're fitness professionals, right? We're active specialists. Yep. Do you think you have a sedentary job now, right? Oh, yeah. It's... I, even, in the world we live in now, like even the fitness professionals have sedentary jobs. I work on a laptop. You work on a laptop. I mean, there's just in our day-to-day lives, there's that gap of activity mm-hmm. that didn't exist in the 70s and the 60s and before that. In the mid 80s, there's this, uh, you might have heard of it. Um, there's this company called Microsoft and it released some software called Windows in 1985. And that transformed everybody's workspace, right? Even the merchants that had to walk up and down stocking aisles now had digital inventories, right? All of our, all of our life just got to be more sedentary. And then in the 90s, in the 90s and early 2000s, we have what the fitness industry calls the obesity epidemic, right? Obesity rates have ballooned. They've skyrocketed and there wasn't really a solution for it. So doctors doing the best that they could said, well, I've seen a couple of these movies. There's some more growing popularity with fitness. Those guys don't seem to have weight issues. Go, go do what they do. There's a difference between someone that's working an office job and someone that's a professional bodybuilder. Like there's a difference in your life demands as well as a difference in the outcomes you're seeking, right? The weight loss for health is a lot different than sports performance. Weight loss for health is a lot different than building muscles to parade on a stage and you're in a speedo, right? There's difference in those outcomes but the fitness industry wasn't made for the outcome it's being used for today. I'd love, I'd love you covered so much there and I'd love for you to elaborate. Just there's, there's so many things like, I know yeah, the popularity of bodybuilding, I think is, I don't want to say it's partially to blame, but because it became so rooted in pop culture mm-hmm. and we can go into like the diet industry or supplement industry too. It's like, it's, I think it gave unrealistic expectations for the end user, which most of the time is the general population where you're seeing athletes or bodybuilders or even now and more so now Hollywood actors setting an unrealistic standard of what 
physical fitness looks like or what health looks like. And that's, again, it's a, it's a wide range topic, but bodybuilding provided people with, I think, uh, creating fitness, like you said, and gave people more access in a way to, to be physically active when, when life turns sedentary. But I think it also really skewed what the expectations were for the end user. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So we can, we can obviously talk about the body issues and the the standards and how everyone's trying to live up to Photoshopped images on Instagram and how mentally toxic that can be and how wildly unrealistic that is. But I think the bigger issue is the methodology, right? Because we're looking at different outcomes, the methods that you want to implement to be a successful bodybuilder, the methods that you need to implement to be a Marvel superhero the methods you should implement to be a Super Bowl champion are wildly different than the methods that you need to be just, just be healthy, right? I believe that biologically, you were born to be healthy, right? If a caveman's unhealthy, he becomes dinner, right? It's We don't really have to go to war against ourselves the way that you would have to if you were trying to be a bodybuilder, right? If you were trying to become inhumanly huge, there's a lot of different approaches that you have to implement where if you're just trying to support your biology to be healthy, to be lean, to have energy, it's a completely different methodology. And unfortunately, we just that's not the origins of fitness. That's not what's been available. And I think we really need to, as an industry, really consider outcomes before we make recommendations. I know a lot of times people, and you probably get these this question all the time, but people will be like, hey, what's the best exercise? What's the best way to work out? What's the best nutrition plan? And there's a lot of great advice out there on the internet. And a lot of that advice is right for the wrong population. And that's something that we often run into is we we don't dig enough to figure out what is the outcome that we're actually looking for. And then what do we do for that specifically Instead of just following tradition, what did we do for the last 30 years? What did we do in the 70s? What, are, what did Arnold do, right? What Arnold did doesn't matter for Mary, mother of three. Exactly. Well, I mean, part of the issue is with the, with the boom of the internet and all that, information is everywhere now. And I think part of the issue is the average individual who doesn't have a background in health or fitness or nutrition or exercise and is already busy, they don't know and can't differentiate what information is for them and what information isn't. Have you found outside of, you know, obviously being coaches and, and having that one-on-one -on -one time, have you found a way to help the general population steer clear of the misinformation, let's say, or, or, or the stuff that you know is not going to help them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was, uh, I mean, my brain was racing too. I mean, that's what you and I do, John, right? With coaching, we try to give people personalized recommendations based on, you know, what their objective actually is instead of what the, the beauty magazines say they should be. Um, but for trying to find the sources, I think a lot of times it's just figuring out like, what is this person's interest? What is this person's purpose, Right. Obviously, with my origin, with my background, with the knee, with with just changing the definition of fitness to being able to, to feel great, feel like a million bucks, knowing that's my objective, right? Just figure out if that person's purpose aligns with yours. 
there's a lot of people on Instagram that are influential, um, that have big followings. And sometimes their purpose is to get bigger biceps and bigger chest muscles, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're to maybe their goals are to run a faster 5K or run a better marathon. If that's the same objective that you have, that's a, that's a fine person to follow. That's a fine person to to take influence from, to take advice from. But every time you go to follow someone, I would challenge you to ask, what is this person's main objective? Yeah. Which I'm curious, John, since we got into it, um, what about you? Like, what is the, what's the purpose of working out for you personally nowadays? Oh, I love that question. Before I dig into that question, I just, your video is stuck. Audio is going very well. And I okay. This part out. Um, my objective for, for working out and we'll say eating mostly healthy foods, we'll call it. Um, Cause I don't like to slap labels on things. So I, I wear, I wear many different hats every single day. You know, Steven, as a, as a business owner, um, you're, you're doing a lot and if you're, and you're a coach and you're an uncle, like there's things that you, that you, that are part of your life. For me, it always comes down to, I'm a dad, business owner, coach, husband, and I'll toss athlete in there because I do like to, you know, I play hockey once or twice a week, you know, part of my workouts, I would call are semi-athletic in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I'll use athlete as a blanket term there for just someone who is more intermediate, advanced, and working out. We'll call it. Um, so I know that when I am consistently working out, that I have more energy. As a father, I have more patience. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit lighter on my feet. I have a little bit more kind of pep in my step. I'm more playful with the kids. Um, I'm more communicative overall. And you know, as a business owner and coach, I think mentally I'm just in a better place where, you know, there's, there's less anxiety or I'm, I'm more clear headed and able to, to help people or if I have to make business decisions or just even task management, when I am consistently, you know, working out and what we'll, we'll say better healthy routines, like going to bed at a certain time, um, eating healthier overall, I just show up as a better person across all the pieces of my life, let's say. That yeah. Makes sense. And I think that's, I think that's good to be aware of, especially your audience knowing like your objective is to be able to, to facilitate, to support so that you can show up right with clarity, with energy. And I think that's probably what a lot of people that are listening to this podcast also want. Right. And, and I'm bet that that objective has changed your workouts in the last seven years. Right. If you compare, I'm sure there was a time where your priority was not necessarily the energy or the mental clarity or the patience, but a little bit more on the bigger biceps, right? Absolutely. I mean, there was, there's different chapters. Like I had, I did a powerlifting meet in 2007, 2017, mm-hmm. where my focus was first. I mean, I had to drop weight to fit a weight class or else I was going to be completely embarrassed in the platform. But I also wanted to get as strong as possible, like powerlifting and, and let's call it, YouTube fitness or, or, you know, fitness culture on Instagram was, was more and more popular. I was like, cool, this is, this is fun. I love getting stronger. It was a very, very, it was mentally challenging to really just push upper limits in, in how much I can lift. That was a chapter of my life for about nine months, let's say from January, February till about August when the meet was. And I haven't competed since it was one of those things that 
life changed big time. I was spending two, three hours at the gym, four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. There's no possible way I can fit that into my life now, nor do I really want to. It was, it was mentally very taxing, physically very taxing. And it was fun while I did it. Maybe while I do it again, who the hell knows? But, um, <laughs> that was a chapter. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you go back to my younger years, it was, it was arm day way too often. <laughs> Fast forward now, I, I really don't like training arms. I'll do like two sets a week, maybe one for buys, one for tries. Yeah. And even then I'm kind of like, people are like, what do you do for your arms? I'm like, overtrain them for a few years in a row and they'll grow <laughs> and then you'll never want yeah. to do it again. That's, no, that's I think, my story there. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. Like as your priorities have shifted, your, your methods have shifted too. I think if we if we paint with broad brush strokes, the majority of the fitness industry, and I know I uh yeah, I don't know about the camera, but it sounds like the audio is still good, right, John? Yeah, audio audio okay. is still top notch, yep. Perfect. Um yeah, like the majority of the fitness industry, the top priority is fitness. So I mean there's a cult like fitness group that says they're forging elite fitness. Um there's fitness publications, right? Their top priority is fitness and maximizing performance. I've got a giant stack of the journal of strength and conditioning research on my bookshelf. Um, and that's the, the biggest thing that always comes up there is either sports performance, power explosion, or, or muscle growth, right? Different priorities have different methodologies, And the tradition of the fitness industry being rooted in that sports and bodybuilding history doesn't align with the priority of the majority of the people that sign up for personal training. And so because of that difference in priorities, I think we need to be honest and reevaluate what we do consider to be good fitness advice. Absolutely. Um, And that's 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 a great kind of lead into where do we go from here? Because we have more information than ever. We have more technology than ever. But then you have like food is way more accessible than ever where we don't have to move a muscle except for our thumb. And, you know, most of us are working sedentary jobs. So like where, where do you see this going? And what do you think we need to, I mean, I guess we as coaches in the industry, what are, what are we going to do about it? What do we need to change? Yeah. Well, I would start actually, very first thing I would always do is just to internalize for as an individual what your priority is and what the purpose of these habits are right a lot of people go into fitness thinking that you know i'm doing this to try to get a six-pack or i'm doing this to lose weight but if you verbalize if you internalize what your priority is whether it's energy whether it's being able to show up with your family better whatever that priority is just being aware of that starts to put some shields on some of the extreme advice you'll hear, right? Like if you ever run across someone that's shouting like to squat till you puke and you're like, well, I'm trying to feel better and puking doesn't feel better. So maybe I don't need to do that. Maybe that's not for me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's, that's one of the great starting points is just understand what your priority and your purpose is with these healthy habits. When I start with clients, I always ask them, not so much like what they're losing. Everyone talks about losing weight, but I want to know what you're going to gain, right? Figure out what your objective, what your outcome is. And that can help reveal what is and is not good advice for, for that particular outcome. Right. 
Um, and the second part, you said, where do we go as coaches? I think one of the toughest things that we can do as an industry, knowing what the origin of most of us are, is being able to separate what is personally relevant and what's professionally relevant. Like you, you mentioned this, and I still mention this too. Honestly, I still can't get rid of some of that athletic mindset, right? You still said some of your workouts, some are athletic, right? So we don't let go of that all the time. Granted, the ratios are a lot different. The intensities are a lot different because the priorities have shifted. But being able to separate what is professional recommendation versus personal recommendation, what is what is professionally relevant and personally relevant can help us differentiate what we give to our clients as well. If we understand that professionally, and it depends on what your clients really do come to you for. If you're specializing in sports performance, you know, maybe this chat wasn't the most valuable, but figure out what is the actual purpose your clients are looking for. And then you don't have to be married to the traditional advice, the traditional recommendations. Being real world right is more important than being textbook right. I'm going to say that again. Being real world right is more important than being textbook right. And that's one of the biggest frustrations I get when I interact with other coaches is fitness has this fascination, this obsession with like optimal plans and maximal plans and maximal hypertrophy. Things might not be the best, but it makes sense. Right. I want something that makes the most sense instead of checks the most scientific literature. Agreed. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's a sign of a good coach where even if the literature says one thing, but you recognize that your client doesn't need and won't benefit from a certain protocol or approach as your, as their coach, you owe it to them to give them what they need. Not as you said, what the textbook says. And, and I think, part of the issue in the fitness industry, and I I tend not to really get into it is just arguing for arguing sake. Like, honestly, (laughs) it's, it's become uh, so annoying and I'll unfollow as many people as I have to for this, but it's like, people are just arguing such nuanced topics that really like most people don't give a shit about, like they really, the end user doesn't care. It's things that the coaches want to just be right about Mm-hmm. that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> if anyone knows me, like I, I'm just going to give people what they would need and explain why it's for them. As long as they're happy, I'm good. I don't really care what other coaches necessarily think. Yeah. I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a big symptom of our social media age is yeah. everyone has this need to be right instead of do right. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is exaggerated in, in the fitness circles. There are a lot of, um, uh, you know what? I won't use that colorful language on your show today. Um, but there is a lot of, a lot of like just following and, and, you know, almost like idol worship mm-hmm. um, and trying to celebrate each other and, and try to validate each other over others. And at the end of the day, and again, this is part of the, part of the symptom of our origin story. We all got into this, not all, most of us got into this because of our history. So we oftentimes, the biggest problem is, fitness professionals tend to be fitness fanatics that are trying to make advice for other fitness fanatics and trying Mm. to impress fitness fanatics. And then the general population comes in the gym, asks us what to do. And then we go seven layers deep on fanaticism. And then we start there with people and that's just awful, 
right? This is like going to an architect that's obsessed with stained glass windows. And he just talks to you about the windows before you ever get a foundation set. I love that analogy. And also, I think part of it is some of the fitness fanatics don't know how to explain topics to the general population who have a lower understanding of the subject. So they'll talk over them or almost like condescend, like you should know this type of stuff, which yeah. isn't, we isn't helpful of, either. We do a lot of like blaming too. Uh, yeah. One of the wild things that always gets me disrupted is um, if you look at the stats, right? If you look at like the obesity rates from the, the census data, 2020, it was 42 and a half percent. In 2010, it was like 37. Wow. In 2000, it was about 32%. Right. So over 20 years, we've got 10% points, but we have a bunch of research. We have a bunch of literature that says what the right thing is. And anytime people fall off, we blame them. We never question, hey, if our methodology is causing culture as large to continue to get obese, maybe our methods aren't working. Maybe they work in those 12 week research settings. But with the people that we actually work, maybe our methods are bad. If people can't stick with routines longer than three months, maybe we are giving them bad routines. And again, that's that real world versus textbook, right? Um, And that's one of my biggest pain points is when people see, I I love Jeb, you know, um, Jeb Stewart, Jeb Stewart Johnston um, at the conference we went to, I applaud him. He had the balls to actually say, Hey, I had a portfolio of the best before and afters, right? You want to lose weight? I could get it. Sit, give me six weeks. I get you to drop 30 pounds. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But then he had that hard look where he said three years later, they were worse off than their before pictures. Mm-hmm. That's a big common trend in the industry. We do a lot of before and after photos. We never, we never really talk about the after the after, yep. right? Um, and if we look there, then we, it's hard to be honest with ourselves, but maybe our methods don't work if we're failing people with and the long-term studies show like 85 to 95% fail. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's bad. Maybe we're doing the wrong thing. It doesn't matter if it works in the 12 week cycles. Yeah. If it's not changing people's lives, it's not doing what we set out to do. Again, we talked early on this fitness professionals want to help people. The stats show that we're not the history shows that we're going with the wrong approach with the Mm. wrong objectives. And we just need to have a hard, honest look at ourselves and consider maybe we need to reestablish what fitness standards look like for the people that are actually using it now. Huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably the toughest part is we'll use the industry as a whole, but like getting retrospective and wanting to change how we've been doing things is something most people don't want to do, right? Because we've been doing it for so long, you know, it's, it's the current, it's the current user's fault or, you know, or or the facilitator's fault, but it's been this way for so long. Like a lot of the times there's, there's myths and there's truths and there's bro science, but like, I think, you know, just because Arnold did it doesn't mean we need to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a huge gap in time, information, lifestyle, environment. Like there's so many factors where how is it fair to compare what Arnold was doing in the seventies to what we're doing now? Yeah. Right. There's there's so much. I I love trying to bring, I think the biggest folly of the fitness industry is that we focus on exercise science. I try to bring a lot more social science into it because 
I mean, if you look at it, we talked about sedentary lifestyles, but I mean, our recreations gotten different. Um, our work experience is different. The way that we access food is different. There's just everything about our social culture yeah. has changed. Um, there's a lot of unseen pressures that are pushing us to towards this default of being unhealthy and unhappy. And look, the reality is people know that they should exercise. People know that they should eat better. Mm-hmm. What we don't really understand is how to do that in this crazy mucked up world that we created. And I think that's a big part that coaches can definitely benefit from guiding their clients on is understanding what have been those shifts. Why are people having this default that they don't like and what's kind of causing that? What's more important there, I think, to create some shields against that versus Mm -hmm. just trying to create more insanity workouts. Agreed. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Like the majority of clients I work with are moms – over 35, over 40, mm-hmm. that population has been conditioned to try every single diet trend that's ever come out in the last 20 years, right? Yeah. A lot of women have been dieting or in diet mode or something like that for a long uh, time. I, I Big history nerd again, but if we look yeah. at really history of diets, diets were designed, one, for bodybuilders because they have that contest prep. That's where the keto diet came from. Um, the keto diet was supposed to be something you did for two weeks to go from like 7% body fat to 4% body fat. And then everyone hated it, never wanted to do it again. And now we're giving that to people as lifestyles. Like you're supposed to do this three week diet for life. It's stupid. It's asinine. Yeah. Um, But if we look at a lot of the history of the diets, a lot of them were made for models to get to a very specific shape, to get to a photo shoot. One of the tough and gross things about the online trainer space is one of the biggest pieces of advice that people do is you have to get at least one photo shoot, look really great, um, stack a bunch of photos, and then you can just distribute those. But you have to you have to diet down for one photo shoot at least once in your career, right? Mm-hmm. And when we look at diets, they're made for models to get to a photo shoot in a very short period of time, and then they stop that. We've given this to people as if it's somehow health advice that they're supposed to live with. Yeah. Again, if we look at we're we're giving advice for the wrong objectives to the wrong people based on the history of stuff that we're just not revealing. Yeah. Well, and and, and models, you, you know, you're not going to walk around year round that lean, nor should you. No. Like I got really lean for my first photo shoot. It's something I'd wanted to do. I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's go for it. Let's let's push the pedal. Like I've never been comfortable doing this. I did it and I, I rebound like I had a rebound for sure because I mean that's and I was really really lean it felt cool to a point and, and until I got to the point where I didn't have a lot of energy I had to go to the bathroom constantly and I just wanted to stuff my face so like there's I think that's there's so many parts of the industry that I think the general population and to no fault of their own they don't understand everything behind it whether it's photo shoots whether it's diet history whether it's why they keep reverting back to this same habits And I want to just quickly go back to the exercise science bit because I think that's a huge part of, I think, most people's um, downfall. Like they rely heavily on working out as hard as they possibly can, as much as they possibly can in order to see a body composition change when all that ends up happening is they're working so friggin' hard. And they are, but they they see nothing and they're just, they're exhausted. They can't keep up the, the routine and they're like, why did I even bother? 
I'm just, I'm done now. Yeah. Yeah. The working hard, working hard makes sense for certain people. Right. And fitness was made for those people originally. Um, so working harder made sense back in the day, but now that objectives are different now that life demands are different, that harder isn't necessarily the best place to start. I'd argue it's, it's like, I, I would never really push clients to go like that and part of the objective, but it, to a point of like six, seven days a week, I love taking clients from, from that kind of frequency and bringing them down. I'm like, look, you don't have to do this, this frequently. Um, and people are, are like shocked when I tell them that I work out three to four on average, like that's it. I'm like, yeah. And, and again, it goes back to, I think what you said about social, um, the social science or like purposeful movement throughout the day. That's not exercise walking yeah, more, you know, just making activity happen in the course of your day. Like if I'm recording a podcast, I can look to my right, you know, a couple of days a week, I'll see laundry piles there, but cool. I'm good because I can go and move and I like to go move and clean and organize things. That's part of my personality. And I feel good doing it knowing that I do sit at a desk all day, but I can get some movement in on top of everything I'm doing at the gym. And it's not excruciating to do that stuff. I can, it's part of my lifestyle. Yeah, no, that's definitely a big thing. Um, Obviously there's a lot of little details we can do, but that is true. Like in my coaching, I'm very specific about trying to coach activity um, Mm. rather than workouts or exercise. One, there's some people that just have traumatic baggage about when they think about workouts, they think about boot camps, they think mm. about pain, they think about misery and soreness and not being able to walk. And when I give them lighter workouts that take 30 to 35 minutes, they're not expecting that. They're expecting it to be miserable so they don't try and they get scared of it. But the reality is, and you've probably talked about neat a ton or non-exercise activity mm. with the objective of health, with the objective of of energy with the objective of feeling your best and having that mental clarity. The reality is non-exercise activity is dramatically more impactful than exercise activity is. And that yep. pains me as an exercise enthusiast to drag on exercise like that. Um, we got into this field because we love exercise, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, again, we have to understand what the objective is. What's the priority? Non-exercise activity is going to be more impactful. You should our lives are too sedentary to not have exercise. Now we do need that compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the big, the big rocks that the big impact you're going to get from the non-exercise activity. And that's something that's just, it's not, it's not wildly talked about. It's, it's sometimes given lip service. Mm-hmm. A lot of the evidence-based group does talk about that a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not it's, sexy, man. It's not sexy. Um, it's kind of an afterthought. It's an also um, instead yeah. of being a priority. And I think that's really when we're talking about health, talking about just little bits of activity throughout the day, just 30 seconds. Right? Mm-hmm. Done research as low as 30 second breaks periodically every hour, hour and a half. It has dramatic health impacts. I love it. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it, it is starting to pick up a little bit of steam online. I mean, granted, social media is who you follow, so you'll only really see certain subjects. Chamber look like today. Yeah, that's the other thing too. So yeah, it depends. I mean, at the end of the day, like you keep saying, like it's it's what is your objective? If your objective is to get absolutely shredded, go and follow those that will lead you to that. But if your goal is to just live a 
overall healthier life with more energy, whether it's keeping up with your kids, feeling a little bit stronger, better fitting clothes, you you, de- you don't have to approach it with an extreme approach. It, it just, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And what's wild is I'm, I know in my experience, you probably validate this too, the the tougher people work at it, like the more they kind of push it away. Hmm. Right. I'm sure you've witnessed that a couple of times. Right. And there's there's a ton of different theories and hypotheses on why this might be. But the fact remains, I've seen a lot of people that just work super hard and they build they just block themselves from getting results. Like you mentioned, with cutting people back down to three to four times, um, I really cut down on intensity quite a bit with people. Mm -hmm. My purpose behind exercise with the objective being health and energy if I'm digging a hole and making you tired, you're not going to have more energy. That's counterproductive there. But also like there's just, you just have to do less just to stimulate the nervous system, just to Mm -hmm. stimulate some circulation. It doesn't require as much. And then it gives you more, more chances to adapt. Love it. Yeah. Starting off slow and just ramp it up as as necessary. Steve, yeah. man, this is this has been a great chat. I do have a, a hard stop shortly, but I appreciate if I can it. put you if I can put you on the spot and leave us with a golden nugget, that'd be incredible, man. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. Um God, my I guess from this talk, my my big golden nugget is do a fitness plan for you and your priorities. I love it. You want to expand on that a little bit? You definitely can. Yeah. I mean, just like we've talked about, right? Yeah. The vast majority of the stuff that's easy to Google was made for people whose priorities were fitness. Most of my clients, if you had them write down on a sheet of paper, things that are important to them, the gym might show up on the backside of the paper, right? Mm. Um, For a lot of the fitness professionals, the gym's going to be the top three, right? It's just the way that it is. It's the, it's, it's the way it is, right? It's mm-hmm. not good nor bad, but there's a disparity there, right? And a lot of the advice is for people whose top priority is fitness. If your priority is just getting that mental clarity, having more energy, supporting yourself so you can show up as a better human being, look for a different workout program, right? I love it. Thanks for that, man. This is the part of the show where you can plug Anything you got, shameless plug time. Where can people find you? <laughs> yeah. So you can find me on social media. I'm not super daily active, um, but if you find Health Rebels or Health Rebels US on social medias, that's where I'm at. I am more active on my podcast, the Health Rebels podcast. And then you can find my blog on my website, healthrebels.us. Love it, man. I will link all that stuff in the show notes to make it easier for people who are appreciate it. driving while listening to this right now. But uh, Stephen, man, thanks again for, for taking the time. This was this was really fun and really in-depth. I, I really like the, uh, the approach you took with this one. Hey, I appreciate it. Perfect, man. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Thanks.